Welcome to the Political R&D Podcast. I'm Robbie Krieger-Smith. And I'm Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. special episode of Political R&D. I'm Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. Robbie Krieger-Smith is out getting mixed for his monkey's lunch. My guests today are Kevin Milligan, Professor of Economics from the UBC Vancouver School of Economics, and Stephen Carter, legendary Alberta podcaster who has also done some other things. Today's topic will be the federal response to COVID-19. Are they doing enough? Should they be doing more? And what are they doing? Welcome, Kevin. Happy to be here. <laughs> and Stephen? I'm happy to be here. That's the longest I've gone without speaking. That whole listening to your introduction. <laughs> it's great. It's true. What is the problem as you see it, Stephen? I'm going to open that up to you. Well, I think that we have, uh, I mean, obviously the, the COVID problem is that people have to, are being told to, their new work is to stay home. The new yeah. work is to stay away from others, and, and that has created a, a different type of financial crisis um, because we have to deal with the health crisis first. And to be clear, when I, and I think I speak for Kevin with this, when we're talking about the financial crisis, we're not trying to put the financial issues before the health issues. Uh, the health issues are there. We have to deal with them, but they are going to have an unintended consequence financially. And that is the problem is, is we go through this, how do we protect the most number of people and how do we ensure that uh, Canada, the Canadian economy, uh, especially given the bungled response to our friends in the south, uh, how do we recover in a way that doesn't hurt too many people too broadly? All right. Kevin, would you say that's fair or would you like to add to that? I uh, said so two things. So the, the big goal we should have here is to bridge our economy across the health crisis. And so we want to make sure that families have enough income to survive. We want to make sure that our businesses are able to reopen when the health conditions allow so that they can rehire people and, and start selling us stuff again and start making our neighborhoods and cities lively. Um, second point to make on that is, uh, you know, the distinction between what's right financially and what's right uh, on health purposes, they're not actually in opposition to each other. The cheapest way if you're just a cheapskate, you want to get through this the cheapest possible. The cheapest way to get through this is to push down on the health crisis now. It is cheaper to do it now than later. It's expensive now. Don't get me wrong. It's going to cost us some money now, but it's cheaper now than later. So we got to fight the health crisis first, make sure our economy survives, and then pick it up on the other side. All right. Kevin or uh, Stephen, agree? Yeah, I think that that's exactly right. I mean, uh, there, there were those who uh, tried to tell us, other than that, early, um, and even those misinformation, those people of misinformation, primarily the U.S. president, have walked have walked that back, and and that's that's been telling to watch. You know, uh, the Fox News hosts that were telling us this is the flu uh, have walked it back. There are still a few uh, right wingers or, or or deluded folks who want to compare this to the flu, but I think that 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 has just become like. Uh, conspiracy theorists who've been telling us that the earth is flat. Uh, we don't need to listen to them. Okay. I guess let's open that up with what is currently being offered, because Stephen, I already know that you have some issues with that. Kevin, why don't you introduce us to 
what the government is currently doing to make that bridge between the economy before and after COVID. Great. Uh, so I'm going to very quickly list four things. Number one is as fast as possible, straight cash transfers. We're seeing that already this week with the GST tax credit. We'll see it shortly with the Canada Child Benefit top-ups. Number two is um, for people who've lost their job because of the crisis, there's the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit. The website for that is scheduled to open up on Wednesday next week. That's up to $2,000 a month um, for uh, four months. Number three is a broad set of deferrals. So you don't have to remit your GST. You don't have to remit your income tax. Uh, you don't have to pay your Canada student loan payments. So essentially just deferring stuff till later in the year doesn't actually cost the government that much money. It's just a question of when you get it, but that helps People get across the crisis if they don't have to pay stuff now. Also in that bucket is the, you know, mortgage deferrals and uh, other things like that. And then the fourth thing is business supports. And the business supports are coming in the form of a large 75% wage subsidy. And also a really important thing, especially for small business, is uh, a line of credit delivered through your regular bank where it's up to $40,000 interest-free don't have to repay till December 2022. And uh, 25% of that, like up to $10,000 is uh, forgivable that if you pay it back, you don't have to pay the back the first 25%. And so that's uh, what has been announced. Some of these, as we're going to discuss, I'm sure, um, are going to be able to be delivered quickly. Others of them are a bit more muddled. But uh, that's the plan. And I really encourage everyone to take a look at, you know, Canada.ca and the uh, the other official sources of information, because, you know, I'm going to try to get all the details right that I can as we discuss them. But the official source is where you should go. And I know some of those backgrounders are a bit slow and the FAQs are a bit slow. Um, we're hoping those will ramp up as soon as possible, because I know that a lot of people are really, really worried out there and want information. And so, you know, all we can do is go to the official source and hope they keep that up to date as quickly as possible. <laughs> That's a pretty good summary, Kevin. I think that the, you know, the way that you've broken it down is pretty good, but I'm going to add an extra word and it's a word that we sh that shows up very frequently on Canada's website and it's workers. Right. Most of the most of the benefits that have been presented are being presented for workers, um, which is good because we have a lot of workers. I mean, if you watch, if you see those graphs that show the spike in unemployment claims, I mean, they're they're unrelated to anything we've ever seen. So taking care of those workers, let's agree we need to do that. But what it doesn't have here is small business owners. Right. So so things like um, the income tax deferral, let's just call that debt. You know, it's a, it's a short-term loan. You talked about the $40,000 short-term loan, of which up to $10,000 is going to be granted to you. So there is, an, there is a small grant. But if you're the person who owns the barbershop, right now you still don't have anything that deals with things like rent. You don't have anything that deals with uh, your utility costs. So those costs, when it was a two-week problem, were almost inconsequential. When it becomes a two-month problem, they are now consequential. And the models that exist or the, the grants that exist aren't working. And, and when we start talking about the small and medium enterprises, we have to understand the, the volume and the scale. Because when you have that many people being laid off, they're not all coming from large corporations. You know, they're not all coming from Jason Kenney's cuts. They're coming from places uh, like small business 
uh, of which there are one point, you know, 1.8 million small businesses in in Canada, um, which is a huge number, uh, and they have uh, those businesses. Um, I'm going to get that number wrong. Actually, it's 1.2 uh, million small businesses. Um, those businesses are in trouble. Like if you look at the dentist's office, the chiropractor's office, the your 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 doc. I mean, the doctor's office even. These people are struggling, and, and, and it doesn't make sense in a health crisis, but they can't see patients. They can't earn revenues, and that's the, that's the group. So when we've got EI benefits going out or we've got the CERB benefit going out, then that's great. But how do we ensure that there's a business to return to? And that's the part that hasn't yet been addressed. And I'm hoping to see something. And Kevin, I, Kevin is nodding along with me here as I'm talking. I'm assuming it's because I'm so brilliant, but he he has more thoughts. So I'm going to throw it back to him. Yeah, a uh, um, couple of points on that. We I think we share the vision that on the other side of the crisis, when it's healthy to do so, we want all those main streets and shopping streets around Canada to open back up with vigorous businesses. And to do that, we need to make sure that those businesses can survive. And that is clearly the goal. And so uh, we, I don't think we have any difference in the goal. Um, second point is, as I described those programs, uh, my goal was to describe what has been offered as clearly as I could. Uh, it wasn't to say that's fantastic and that's all mm -hmm. we should do. Um, so I, I think that's really important for, for you uh, and also for all small business owners to channel your concerns um, you know, in any way you can. Call your MP, call the, uh, you know, the Canadian uh, Federation for Independent Business, the small business uh, organization, and let them know your concerns. They have a voice in Ottawa and they can let them know because I, I, we want small business to survive. What has been offered is uh, a start. And if it's not sufficient, and I'm fully open to the case that it's not, uh, we, we need people in Ottawa to hear that. Well, I will also agree with Kevin that, that I think that a lot of the things that they have put out are very helpful. Uh, it does address a number of things right now. For those small businesses, and I'm out in rural Alberta, so that's the majority of the businesses in my town. So I'm looking at them and I'm wondering, just like Stephen said, two weeks, you know, that's, that's not really a problem. The potential for two months, for six months, um, because as long as we still have to remain under some sort of a, uh, a restriction, how does even a $40,000 loan look like something that a small business can do when they have no idea when they can reopen or whether or not their customers can actually come back? I think it's really important that we divide the problem into kind of two two types of solutions. One type of solution is debt. Um, making available capital through debt does go part of the way towards solving the problems, but we have to be very wary of what the debt profile of these businesses looks like on the other end, because the debt profile of a small business has to be manageable. We, the, the, the traditional tools of running a small business, most small businesses don't have a significant line of credit with their bank. It's backed by the individual who owns the business. So that that debt looks more like private debt than it does like business debt, like we would see in a medium-sized enterprise or a large enterprise. So the, the trick is to make sure that we're not piling um, more and more personal debt onto the entrepreneur. It, can't, it has to, at the very least, 
be corporate debt, debt that's owned by the corporation. And we could go into why those two things are different and how to manage them uh, because the the increasing debt load of, of making it on the entrepreneur will constrain and restrict entrepreneurship. Whereas uh, the reason we put these these corporate strategies in place is to ensure that we have entrepreneurs, right? You don't have to risk everything you've ever had in order to start up a venture, which by definition is risky. Um, this The second type of solution is that that we are giving to people, straight up cash, things to pay bills with, things that don't come encumbered with expectations that you're going to pay things back. Um, the $10,000 is pretty good, actually. If you borrow the 40, you get 10, uh, 25% rate of return right off the bat. That's not a bad thing. And if you're able to, uh, to, to, to use that money and then pay it back uh, within the allotted time frame, every small business owner who has that opportunity should be taking advantage of that program right now. It's just a good, smart business move. But straight up cash is going to be required to ensure that a dentist's office returns to operations. Um, that, that There's just almost no model available where some sort of cash infusion to businesses isn't going to be required. Yeah, I, I fully agree that uh, there has to be a component of straight up cash there and it's appropriate. The, the mechanism that the feds have chosen is this uh, line of credit with the 10K forgivable. Um, and I'm fully open to the argument is not enough. And I think there's a good case to be made. But also, I've, I have heard some, you know, people are, are, are very upset. And I, I fully understand that. But not to minimize what's been done as well. The 10,000 is, as, as Carter was just saying, it's literally, if you organize yourself in a minimal way, it's essentially a $10,000 grant. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I may give a bit of advice to those who want to um, lobby Ottawa to change stuff, it's often easiest to uh, change existing transmission mechanisms a bit and fiddle with them than to come up with something brand new. And so, you know, if that 25%, 10,000 thing would be changed was 40,000. What if that went up to 50%, 20,000? That would be a much easier change for Ottawa to make than to come up with something brand new. So just some advice out there. If you want to know where you can push and where you might find some yielding, it might be on something like that if I were the small business lobby. Well, I think also that just building off of that, there are one of the challenges, and, and this is where uh, Ken Bozenkul and I ran into trouble with the uh, the, the idea of just doing a, a crisis basic income, is there was no model available. Well, in businesses, there's lots of models because businesses remit GST, and so GST and income tax from businesses give us a sense of the overall scale and scope of the organization. Being able to give, for example, a uh, instead of just giving a holiday on paying GST and expecting us to pay back, what if you gave a GST remit for the last year? So last year's money comes back to you. That would give you somewhere in the neighborhood of 5% of your total income um, for the last year that could come in to finance your base expenses for two or three months. And that would be probably enough to get you through your rent, to get you through, because you've got income supports for paying your staff a one-year rebate of all your GST would give you enough money to start acting and paying your other bills, your utility bills, your yourself as an entrepreneur. The entrepreneur doesn't get paid in the you know if you were paying yourself through uh, dividends or through uh, direct other payments. You could you can get that through um, through a GST rebate. 
Yeah. So, so I, I've seen the GST, idea, uh, uh, you know, refund idea uh, floated for help for business, and that that's an interesting idea. I think the mechanisms are clearly there, the database is clearly there. So that's an interesting idea. But that opens up to one of the big policy challenges here is. You know, there's some businesses like, say, your local restaurant who literally cannot operate. Their revenue is literally zero. Mm -hmm. There are other businesses that are partially open. Um, You know, maybe some businesses clawed back a bit, but they're kind of half operating. And there's other places like your local grocery store that might be doing business like they haven't done before because they're selling the toilet paper. They're selling the canned goods like they rarely have before. And so when you design something like, say, a GST refund, you could just do it to everyone, but then realize that you're cutting a big check to, you know, our friends at Loblaws, uh, an absolutely huge check, and some other kinds of business that might be not uh, uh, a big GST payer is not going to get anything. So this is a, you, you can, and this gets into the crisis basic income thing. You there's a trade off there between whether you want to cut checks to a bunch of firms or individuals that don't look like they're needed. In fact, they're doing better um, versus doing something flat and simple and, and fast because there are in the businesses, like I said, some are literally at zero, some are partial and some are going like gangbusters. And the extent to which we want to differentiate versus just doing something fast is an excellent policy debate to have. Yeah, let, let me just jump in on that because that is that is the foundational question because everybody's afraid of giving money to someone who doesn't need it. Well, that's okay. We can give money to someone who doesn't need it and get it back. The, I would much rather give, a, you know, 100, I mean, you, the, first of all, I'm trying to define this as small businesses, but I, I'm also happy just to give it back to every business and then tax it back through the course of the year. We have tax rates. We have tax laws. People have to comply to them. If we gave them a $400,000 GST amount and they didn't need it, we can very easily claw that back through their profit um, because they still have to tell us how much money they made, right? This is, this is the internal reporting systems that exist in corporations already. Uh, that we, there's not a corporation that exists that doesn't have that would be able to access this money that doesn't have an existing relationship with the government. Ergo, we, the, the, the only people who see my financial statements are the government. They're the ones who see how I'm doing. No one else sees that. So being able to claw that money back is more possible. I'd rather make that mistake than the mistakes that we're seeing made right now where there are gaps. You know, I mean, we haven't even sp- talked about the gap that exists with seniors and students. Students are the ones that are really worried about. You've got 2 million students in uh colleges and universities in Canada, 2 million students that are coming out right now that are trying to find jobs after just having tried to figure out how to manage their last term that has almost been completely written off. There are no jobs. There is no opportunity. And that's going to continue for the next four months. And, and I mean, maybe some of them will get jobs. I mean, but again, I'd rather give money to everybody and then find a way to claw it back at the end. We, we have to make a decision as a country. Do we allow for the gap to establish or do we fund through the gap and then we find a way to figure it out later? I'd rather err on funding through the gap. Yeah, there's a, uh, a very strong argument uh, in that case. What I would suggest, though, is the idea that is very easy to claw it all back later is something that there's a, there's, there's a lot you're sweeping into that sentence. So to give an example, um, if you, uh, you know, grant small businesses just big checks or all businesses, some kind of big checks, and then decide in November that, yeah, we're going to make businesses over X threshold pay back or something like that. 
I uh, I suggest that might not be as easy as you as you suggest. Number one, and number two, right now as you cut those checks and you say we're giving you this money now and we'll tell you later whether you have to pay it back, I'm not sure that would be met with uh, a, a, a huge amount of enthusiasm because people would be uncertain about how much of it they can spend. And, and a final point um, with respect to students, uh, you are very correct that there has not been. Uh, much of anything announced for students. I mean, many of them will be getting the GST tax credit in the next few weeks. It's a couple hundred bucks. It will uh, help them uh, float for a bit now, but it's not a replacement for a summer job. It's not a replacement for what they need to pay for next year's school. Um, all I can say on that is my sense of what's going on in the uh, corridors of power is, you know, uh, a couple of days ago, uh, you'd be talking about th this is a March problem versus an April problem. With the speed and the constraints they have on their time, they have, you know, students, the summer job issue is there and it will be there, but maybe that's something they can deal with next week. I really think that all student groups should be out there advocating and saying we need help. So, uh, you know, hearing Carter say that is very useful and I add my voice to that. But um, if you were to uh, ask me what I think is going on there is that, let me put it this way, uh, this particular prime minister, if, 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 if I were to learn in the fullness of time that his answer was, we we're going to throw students under the bus, that would not be consistent with the profile I have of, the, of this particular prime minister. So my suspicion is that they are working on things. It's just not ready to be announced yet. Is that great? No, it's not. Um, but that's where we are. Well, I think to your point, though, you, Kevin, you made a really good point about trying to figure out things that already exist that you can piggyback on. CERB is going to work. You know, that that crisis income program is been has been well defined now. My my only if I was advising the student groups that were lobbying, picking up on your earlier point, the, go to the government and say, just simply add in student. Whereas I a full time student in, a, in an institution this year. Checkbox. Yes. Get money because um that four weeks, uh, the calculation that was done, uh, I, I saw it uh, on, the, on, on the interweb, so it must be true. Um, there's four months of, of accessing or 16 weeks of accessing funds for up to $500 a week. If you access that for students, that would pay for their next term. That would give them this, basically the, 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 the income supports that they would require to stay in school. Right now, uh, I, I think... You know, two weeks ago, pushing really hard to try and figure out how to get the crisis income in place. Ship sailed out the door. Now it's just a simple matter of how do we piece this together uh, for the people that have been missed. I actually don't mind seniors being missed, for example. I think that seniors, the, the, the pieces that have been put in place for the seniors, because they weren't working anyways, right? If you are a worker, then you're being taken care of. If you were retired, then you can just pull down your, your they, they've put enough in place for now, the students are the big group that I think have been missed. That's the one that I'm I'm particularly focused on. Students, small business, those two groups really are going to need our help in the future. And if I swear to God, if they put forward an oil and gas bailout before they put forward a small business bailout, I will lose my fucking mind. I'm just saying. <laughs> so uh, over, over here in Burnaby, I'm not quite ready to put the uh, the, the seniors uh, out in the ice flow yet. Chicken. Um, <laughs> But uh, let me just say something about seniors. So at a first cut, uh, you know, most seniors did not see their income drop. I want to really emphasize to any seniors that may be listening, your old age security check is going to arrive safe and secure. Your GIS check is going to arrive safe and secure. Your Canada pension plan is going to arrive safe and secure. I really want to reassure all seniors of that first. Second point is um, the GST tax credit that's uh, – 
fantastically going to arrive actually literally today in some people's uh, direct deposit. Um, that goes out to uh, about 15 million Canadians. There's about 40% of Canadians uh, get this. I've heard some people on Twitter say, I don't get this. I don't know anyone who gets the GSC tax credit. Well, <laughs> there's 40% of Canadians and, and they exist. And furthermore, the majority of seniors get it. And so that's up to 400 for a single. If you're a couple of seniors, you get like 600 bucks. That's, you know, that's not a lot for some people, but that is something and that helps seniors with some extra expenses. So there are some things there. Should there be more for seniors in the future? Perhaps there will be some extra things coming. But I think, again, suggesting about this prioritization with crisis time and COVID time, they thought, you know, seniors are getting their OAS, GAS and CPP. Seniors are important to everyone, including Carter, I'm sure. But maybe we'll, we'll deal with them a bit uh, uh, in May rather than in, in, uh, in March. My, my point just basically was that the, the, the minor changes that have already been made, they, they were already, most of them were already on income supports. And the minor changes that have been made um, will be more, inf more impactful than what we're seeing with students, where students have lost significantly. Small businesses, uh, small businesses for me are the one area, I mean, I appreciate the $40,000 of debt. I, I appreciate the $10,000 of being able to access this, you know, get that debt written off. But still... I, I really think that we need to start thinking of those small businesses. And, and in fairness, I think that this has been the weakness of the Trudeau government. They came in with an agenda. Bill Morneau, when he became finance minister, uh, looked at small business and said, how do we tighten up the rules? Because we think these guys are getting around um, the income tax rules and they're getting around the rules. Uh, and they're taking home too much money. Well, OK, we, we put up with that. And now here we are, uh, as small business owners now saying, OK, help us now because you took away so much in the last four years. So, because um, it's not just one thing, right? It's not just one action. This this particular Trudeau government, I, I would like to see people who've been in small business uh, start advising this government a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and it's a fair criticism to say that the Trudeau government did ask small business, especially the ones who are doing well to uh, put in a bit more. It is a totally fair thing to say, you know, if you're going to take from me when I'm winning, you got to help me out when I, when I, when I hit a, a bad side. And that's true beyond the small business thing. Thinking back to the national unity front and all of my friends in Alberta, you know, there's been a lot of questions over the past uh, uh, few years about the benefits of being in Canada and, and why are we always paying in and not getting anything back? Well, you know, I, uh, I think here is a great opportunity for those of us in Canada, the rest of Canada who love Albertans, to uh, put some uh, money where our mouth is and to make sure that we do support you guys, not just as everyone else is in the health crisis, but also in the you know uh, $7 a barrel crisis that you guys are facing as well. And so if the rest of Canada does not step up in this time of crisis to help, whether it's small business or whether it's Alberta and the and the energy sector in appropriate ways. Um, then, uh, you know, I think that uh, Carter is right and that the rhetoric was empty. What do you figure the role of the provinces is? And I'm just thinking B.C. and Alberta. So I've seen uh, Alberta did come up with their emergency benefit while the feds were getting uh, the EI and the CERB ready. Uh, BC is also doing some things provincially. There's additional funding going out uh, through the province as well. Is it and should it be a bit of a partnership with the provinces assisting the federal government while these things are put in place or should there be more reliance on either? 
Let me jump in on that because I think that if I if I was running the free world, I would ask people, the federal government to focus on the economic problem, and I would ask the provinces to focus on the healthcare problem. The healthcare problem is huge. It's going to require the entire mobilization of the bureaucracy. It's going to require the cabinet's full attention to manage that healthcare problem problem in each province. And if you look at the provinces that are really embroiled in this, that's what you're seeing: a full mobilization of everybody. The the if we say to the federal government, you got to help them focus on the, the, the economic side and the provinces focus on the healthcare side, uh, that makes things easier. Number one, we know where to look for, for the solutions. Um, it also solves a big problem in terms of overall capacity of the provinces to get involved. Um, this is a big style of problem. We're going to spend a lot more money on healthcare. We're going to spend a lot more money uh trying to get things through. I would say to the provinces, take the Doug Ford model. Don't lay anybody off. Don't follow Jason Kenney's advice and, and lay off uh, 1% of your workforce in a single Saturday. Instead, focus on keeping your employees in place because that is, a sig that is the significant investment that provinces can make. And the stuff that they're doing around the edges of trying to help the economy, it's interesting. It generates a few headlines. It's not going to do what the federal government can do. Yeah, I, I, I'm fully in agreement here that you know, uh, our federal structure can be a source of a lot of, uh, uh, you know, um, anger and people getting upset at people fighting, but it's also a source of strength here if used properly. The federal government brings a few things. They like the big battleship. They're slow to turn around, but they got the big guns. They have the borrowing capacity. They have the ability to cut big checks. They have the administrative capacity. They're the ones with the CRA and those big databases that can roll the checks out. They're the ones with the GST database. They can roll the support out. In contrast, what can provinces and local governments do? Well, they have they know what their Landlord-Tenant Act is in their province and the particularities of, of how it works. They know how the social assistance programs work and whether they put it through local service delivery agencies or it's all done in the provincial capital. Varies all across the country. They know how parks and recreation law works and when you can close down a park or not. So these things have to work. People have to go what's in their bailiwick. And this is important because remember a couple of weeks ago, there are these things of people in Vancouver walking along the beach and everyone was freaking out on Twitter. Prime Minister, why aren't you stopping people from Vancouver and walking on the beach? The last thing we want is like the federal minister of public safety deciding which beach in Vancouver needs a sign and which one needs a fence. Because literally, they don't know where second beach is versus rec beach, right? And these things are distinct. You've got to get those ones right, especially when you're bringing your bathing suit. Um, so the, the, the final point about this is, you know, federalism is a point of strength here. We have the local knowledge uh, that can design those policies we need locally and the federal big checkbook. So sometimes people say, oh, it's a patchwork quilt. Patchwork quilt, what a horrible thing. No, exact opposite. Patchwork quilts are cozy. They are warm. And when they're all knit together properly, they are strong and mighty alluring. There's nothing I want to warm myself on a cold winter night than a beautiful patchwork quilt. We need a patchwork quilt. They're strong. They're awesome. And we just make sure that they're working together and they are so together. That's what the feds have to be doing. They have to make sure that the local things are coordinated, they have information, um, and, they, and they get big checks. All right. <laughs> Carter, can you add anything to that? No, I think that you have to have silos, right? There's a reason we don't have just one minister for, uh, you know, you don't just have a premier. I mean, I know that we always like to to bash on the on these 
premiers and the prime ministers for holding all the power in their sig single office. But um, they put together cabinets, they isolate the responsibilities, and those cabinets are, are working together. And there's, there's not a ministry in government that's not impacted by this health crisis. So keep your responsibility as diffused as possible so that that each person is able to manage the things that are within his or her uh, responsibility. Diffuse the responsibility, demand that the people who have those responsibilities take full accountability for them. See, I'm happy with how that went. It, it really is. Like this is this is a beautiful size and and you guys did so well. We're trained professionals. <laughs> Well, Kevin, yourself. I'm, a, I'm an amateur. I, I, I'm, I, I'm just an ivory tower academic who doesn't know anything, so what do I know? <laughs> so is there anything that you would like to add, I guess, um, you know, one of the things that, that I kind of enjoyed about this is that instead of reinventing the wheel, look at the programs that already exist, look at how they can be tweaked to be better. That, that was probably the, the best advice that I got out of this because sometimes you do look at something and say okay that's just useless why don't they try something like this but again those wheels of the federal government take a little bit to get going and so, we don't really have the time so the point i would make is you know when you advise the government or you're, you know, have a bit of a, a leaning to like one team a bit or the other. It's very easy to get into defensive modes. And what I have, I reminded myself repeatedly to do is when I hear something that's different than what my ideal policy is to make sure that I say, you know, all criticism is useful here. I know for a fact that criticisms coming like from uh, Stephen Carter and, and Ken Bossenkool about the, the advantages of just sending cash and sending it quick, those criticisms are, are very, very, very useful. Even if it doesn't end up, you know, your exact preferred policy, and believe me, this is not my exact preferred policy package that we see out there, but all of those criticisms are really, really useful. And so all of us who have an instinct to say no, and defend what we see, we should make sure we flip that around and say, thank you for those criticisms. And I encourage everyone listening who doesn't like some part of what they're seeing, put those criticisms out there. This is an extraordinarily dynamic situation. Those criticisms, when they get out there, can really help improve policy. Well, and I'll just pick up on that because the, the way that the criticism needs to be generated is different too. The ad hominem partisan attack doesn't work. This isn't an ad hominem par partisan piece. This isn't saying, well, you know, if Andrew Scheer was in power, he'd be able to do this better. No one can do this better. This is a unique circumstance. It needs to be dealt with uh, collectively and the criticisms that need to be offered don't need to be uh, offered as um, as you, you know, you sucks. So they need to be offered as suggestions. And that's what started when I started my my kind of critique or suggestions to the government. I made a conscious decision to say, what would I do if I was there? What would I do if it was me who had to do this? Because if you think that way, if you think, what would I do if it was me? You have to soften the criticism. It's just it's just hard. Uh, understand that there is no. Um, uh, written playbook for this. No one knows how to call it. So um, I am frustrated that there's not support for students. I am frustrated there's not support for small enterprise. Um, but those frustrations should be at least expressed positively. And 
we need to get through uh, to Finance Minister Morneau and Prime Minister Trudeau that they can they need to step further into these gaps. That is just a simple uh, message that I'm trying to get across, and I hope that other Canadians will pick up the rallying cry uh, after listening to this 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 wonderful podcast on like 1.6 speed. <laughs> I don't want to know what my voice sounds like. We're both uh, fast talkers and excited enough on like 0.8 speed. Oh, I, can't I know. Imagine what we're like. It's ridiculous. <laughs> can, you know, all you hear is like. Brrr. Two excitable guys on the podcast stream near you. It's a great That's title. A, that is a great title. <laughs> okay. Well, that? I'm going to go back to my regularly scheduled life then. Kevin, it was a pleasure. <laughs> This was really fun for me. Thanks for joining. That no, was good. It uh, was really nice to uh, kind of kind of meet you. I, like I said, I was a big fan of the old podcast, and uh, and uh, uh, you know maybe we'll get back to it soon. Uh, we have a dream, but Corey keeps fucking us. <laughs> the Political R and D Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Political R and D.